So, today, why is today significant? Yeah, it's Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday. So this is the day that we remember that moment that we read about early on in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit arrived. And it's important, isn't it, that we we remember significant events. Because significant events provoke a response, a reaction. We've had some significant events this week in our country. And they've hit the headlines. They've made an impression. People have, people have responded. People have reacted. Sometimes, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. But important events are remembered. They have a lasting impact. They, they are acknowledged. And for really important events, year after year, we look back and we say, on that day, this happened. And it reminds us it reminds us of how we felt and what we, how, we, how we were changed by the event, what happened to us, whether it's, a, whether it's a national event or whether it's a very intimately personal event. Let's begin this morning by reading the account in Acts of the day of Pentecost. We're going to read Acts from uh, chapter 2, from verse 1, up to the end of verse 15. <clears throat> and this is, this is Luke, Dr. Luke, who's he's written his Gospel, the account of the life of Jesus, and then he's carried it on with the book of Acts, an account of, of what happened, the acts, the actual physical acts that were carried out in response to Jesus rising back up into heaven. It begins with Jesus' ascension and then it goes on explaining the events that happened immediately afterwards and how people responded because these were significant events. We make a big deal, don't we, at Christmas in December of remembering Jesus being sent into the world. We remember that the baby in the manger, the stable, the star, the wise men, the shepherds, we remember all of that. Pentecost is the the Holy Spirit being sent into the world. The Son was sent at Christmas. The Spirit is sent at Pentecost. Now, that's not to say that this is the first time we encountered the Holy Spirit. That's not to say that there was no Holy Spirit before this point. But this is the moment when the Holy Spirit is poured out to all people. Before this, we see the Holy Spirit acting in specific circumstances at specific times. The Holy Spirit is is very evident throughout the Old Testament, but this is the moment that the Holy Spirit is poured out. This This is why, because of Pentecost, this is why we say that we have got the Holy Spirit in us, in all of us and around us. The Holy Spirit is God's presence around us now. So let's read this account together. From Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we're told, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And Peter goes on into his sermon explaining to people what's going on. And then we, we see the response as there is this uprising of the Spirit. People turn to baptism. And so the Christian story begins its next chapter, a chapter which continues today. This is a significant event. So to begin with, all of the um, all the disciples are in one place. We're told when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now every now and then I get asked the question, do you believe that you have to be part of a church to be a Christian? And my answer is no. You don't have to be to be a Christian. Not being part of a church doesn't stop you from being a Christian, but it does stop you from being an effective Christian. Because it does mean that you're not part of the overall body of the church family. You can still have a personal faith. You can still pray. You can still read scripture. You can still feel prompted by the Spirit and act in accordance with the Spirit. But being part of a church, there's something, there's something when, when a church gathers, when people come together, there is a strength in the Spirit which cannot be replicated without a group of believers by an individual. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This wasn't a destructive fire. This wasn't a fire that they, that they feared. We're not told that there was, there was burning or, or, or any sort of pain or any, even any sort of heat. Just like when Moses saw the burning bush and he noticed that the bush wasn't being consumed by the fire. But once again, God, God uses this, this fire as a, a sign. Something is happening. Something miraculous is happening at this time. 
the fire separates and tongues of fire separate and come to rest on each of them. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in these other languages. And people gaze and say, hang on a second, we're from, we're from a different part of town, we're from a different country than that group over there and yet we can understand this guy and they can understand, how, how do they know all these languages? This is, this, is, this is crazy, what's going on? And we read, don't we, the, the list of all the different nationalities that were represented, the different language groups that were being spoken to. It's not like um, <laughs> when, when Joe and I were in France last week and I'm not exactly a gifted linguist. You know, Joe said earlier how our, um, our attempts at French went little further than parlez-vous anglais. <laughs> and most of the time, the French was so pity and then you find out actually their English was very very good and you can have a conversation and, and, but I certainly couldn't do that, Joe's slightly better than me um, but it's a struggle these people don't just get a smattering of vocab, they're suddenly explaining the wonders of God they're explaining theological concepts they're preaching in languages that ten minutes before they didn't have a clue about They couldn't speak. And it prompts a reaction from the people. In fact, it prompts a variety of reactions. Some of them are so taken by what's going on, they're so absorbed into it, they say, what does this mean? There must be something that we... This must be a sign to us. There must be something we're supposed to learn from this. What does... What can, we, what can we learn? What do we understand by what is going on around us? And there were others who just laughed and said, they're drunk, they've had too much wine. It's funny, those reactions, they're not alien to us, are they? I think it's fair to say that one of the big problems that we face with evangelism is, is, is fear of being ridiculed, of fe- the fear of receiving the type of mockery that the very early Christians received on the day of Pentecost. But there are still those people out there who will listen to the message and respond not with mockery but with the question, what does this mean? That's why it's important that we keep on evangelising, that we keep on with with missional work, with a focus to, to communicate the gospel to people. Because there are those people today who say, what does this mean? Who have a thirst to learn, but they have a fear of coming into church, or they have a slight scepticism that needs to be overcome, but there are those people. And they're the ones that we're sent to address. They're the ones that we are sent to learn their ways to learn how they can be best communicated with. Whether it's learning a a whole new language and going off on a missional work to a, a foreign country, or whether it's simply understanding the family next door, knowing where they've come from, what they've experienced in life, why it is that they they have a slight barrier stopping them from exploring the Christian faith. How can we communicate our faith effectively to those people. On the day of Pentecost, it's interesting, isn't it, that the Holy Spirit didn't enter everybody in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit 
fell upon a very small, select group of people. In this church, we are a very small, select group of people in the wider context of the area in which we live. The Holy Spirit didn't go out and do the dirty work for us. Instead, the Holy Spirit equips us, just as it equips the disciples at the start of the book of Acts. So earlier on this week, we saw the visit of Donald Trump to London. And there was a mixed reaction, wasn't there? I, um, on Tuesday this week, I went and saw David in it was what turned out to be his last day in hospital. But um, uh, I, I didn't know that at that point. I went up and saw him. And as I was walking across Westminster Bridge, there were several people with, with anti-Trump placards. They were either on their way to or from the protests. And it was interesting because there was all, all manner of people amongst them. But they'd taken the time, they'd given up a day to go and stand outside a building with a placard, probably chanting a few slogans, and what difference does that make? Very little as an individual. But as a huge number of protesters, the world has seen their response. It's been an effective response. And they felt moved to protest because they feel so passionate that a man who stands up and, and, and talks about building walls to keep out people who are desperately trying to get into, into his country, people who feel so unhappy in their own life that they, they, they're willing to, to leave everything they know and everything that's familiar and try and Im- improve their prospects, he wants to build a wall and keep them out. And people felt really passionate about this. And yet people also feel passionate in protesting against Christian values. When we, when we talk about being a Christian, so often people, people are resentful more and more. And yet Jesus didn't come advising us to build walls and put up barriers. Jesus knocked down walls. On the day of Pentecost, the, the, last, the last barrier was broken. Suddenly the Holy Spirit was made available to all people. Suddenly it's not an exclusive club that God's chosen the old prophet here and there to, 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 to empower with his spirit. But instead, suddenly all of us, all of us can receive the Holy Spirit because of Pentecost. People protested by pointing a finger and saying they're drunk. It's a form of Mockery, ridicule, just in the same way that, that, and I've done it as well, but we all love to, to point a finger at Donald Trump and say, isn't he ridiculous? Isn't he stupid? Sometimes we need to be careful about pointing out the speck in our neighbour's eye, don't we? It's so easy to do. But Pentecost very quickly became a, a significant event in the Christian calendar. It was recognised. We know this because... Just a a few chapters later, in Acts chapter 20, verse 16, we're told that Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So, Pentecost has become this, this massive, significant, important event in the calendar in a relatively short space of time. It was recognised as a significant moment. Christmas 
wasn't. Christmas that we celebrate now was established by Constantine, or his mother, depending on which historian you read. But certainly, Christmas wasn't made a big deal of in Jesus' lifetime. He might have had a birthday, I'm not sure what the Jewish tradition was as regard birthdays, but certainly there wasn't a mass celebration of his birth. But at Pentecost, this event was recognised and in a very short space of time became an annual occasion. Now it was already, um, it was already, we read in Deuteronomy, um, the festival of the harvests. The reason that there were all these people gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost is because they were celebrating a feast day. On this day, um, the, 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 the first crop that was taken was a portion of it was taken to the temple and given to God. In Deuteronomy 16, it's called the Feast of Weeks. The Israelites were told, count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing corn. Then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, the Levites in your towns and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows living among you, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Bring an offering. Be sacrificial. Don't turn up empty-handed and expect to receive a blessing from God. Instead, give something back. Offer something up to him. What can you offer to him today? What can you offer? Is it a gift of time? Is it a gift of service? Is it a gift of love to someone? A gift of prayer? I'm purposefully avoiding saying a gift of finance because because actually there are so many other gifts that we can give which often are more significant and yet we can overlook them. But every single one of us can offer something. It's not like we're trading. I'll give you I'll give you half an hour a day if I can have a bit of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work like that. God's not really into trading. Because there is nothing that we can offer God that he hasn't already got. And there is nothing that we can offer God that would justify the receiving of the Holy Spirit, this incredible, life-changing gift. But, God uses us. We see it in Acts, throughout the entire book of Acts, the way that God empowers people through his Holy Spirit to achieve wonders, to endure persecution. It's not always a bed of roses, but to do his work. And we are called to do his work. And sometimes that work involves massive sacrifice. I'm sure you would have seen this week um, in Normandy, there was the commemoration of the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings. And the veterans were there and there was the parades and, and there was all the nostalgia and the people looking back and we were reminded of that horrific sacrifice that was made on one day. Hundreds of thousands of people losing their lives. When General Eisenhower gave the command to go ahead, 
he must have felt a terrific weight of responsibility because he would have known that he was signing a death warrant of tens of thousands of young men on those beaches that morning. But he also knew that in order to fulfil the promise of liberation, it required a massive sacrifice. There was no way that this was just going to be negotiated through. There had to be bloodshed. There had to be. In the same way, of course, for us to receive the Holy Spirit, there had to be bloodshed. For us to have this this, this relationship with our God, to receive from our Heavenly Father, there had to be bloodshed and sacrifice. And that's why, that's why Jesus died on the cross. Because it wasn't anything that we could do. It wasn't anything that any any human being at that time could achieve because there was no one without sin. And so God, God sent his son into the world to die for us so that we could all be given that fresh start, so that we could all be purified and enabled to receive the Holy Spirit. There had to be a massive sacrifice on D-Day and it changed history. And it's right that we look back now and commemorate, that we, that we don't take for granted, that in every town and village up and down the country and across Europe there are memorials, there are names, people, individuals are remembered. That is important. And long may that continue. It reminds us of the lessons that were, that were learned painfully but necessarily as a result of that conflict. In the same way, there are churches up and down the country, in every town and village. They bear the cross of Jesus. And that reminds us that although we might read statistics in the press, we might sometimes feel like we're fighting a losing battle, pushing the the stone uphill. But actually, this is not a Christian country anymore. Well, do you know what? That's down to us. And we can make a difference. Every single one of us, because, because we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. The third significant event, some of you might not even be aware of, but um, I found it quite upsetting last night when I read about the death of a guy called Justin Edinburgh. He's the manager at Leighton Orient Football Club and he was 49, 49 years old. He leaves two children and a wife and the reason it hit me quite hard is because growing up I, I was a Tottenham fan and he played for Tottenham for 10 years. So he was a player that I, I followed quite closely and was a fan of and suddenly he, he disappeared off the scene for a bit and then came back as a football manager in lower leagues and was working his way up and he just won the, won the National League with Leighton Orient, really successful season. Next year they were going to be back in, back in the Football League and wonderful. And then on Monday, this guy who was fit, healthy, successful, had everything going for him, had a heart attack. And yesterday it was announced that he died in hospital. And so whether we follow football or not, is irrelevant. It just reminds us 
how fragile life can be. It reminds us that no matter how fit and healthy and how many prospects we've got, how many things are going for us, we do not know what is around the corner. Life is so precious and yet life is also so short. We have this small window of opportunity in which to make a difference. Peter could have listened to the people in Acts saying they're drunk and he could have thought, oh, it's a bit awkward, guys, let's, uh, let's nip down the road, get away from the crowd, shall we? This is, this is embarrassing. Let's, uh, let's talk amongst ourselves and, and, and form, a, form a committee to work out how we're going to go forward with this. Maybe we can run a course telling people or maybe we can just stand up here and say, no, it's nine o'clock in the morning, they're not drunk. This is what's happening. Let me tell you. Maybe we can just be bold. And that's what he did. And on, on the basis of him being bold and courageous in the way that he responded to those mockers, to the taunts, 3,000 people responded by going forward for baptism on that day. An individual recognising the Holy Spirit with the support of a, of a group of believers can make a difference, just as Peter did on that day. We as a church, as a congregation, whether it's local or whether it's beyond that, we can make a difference if we support one another in our own individual work. Corporately, we can, we can make a difference. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about, about wanting to run an alpha course in the local area, inviting people in, giving people the opportunity to ask that question, what does this mean? Because there are people out there that want to know. There are people out there just waiting to receive the Holy Spirit, to understand what it means, and then for their life to be changed by it. There is that potential in everybody around this community. There is that opportunity for us. And we are the small number of people that God has called together from our respective journeys, combining our respective experiences, receiving the same Holy Spirit. And through that, we can make a difference. You see, from this moment in, in Acts, the reason this is so important is that this is the stone landing in the mill pond. And in Acts, we see there's persecution shortly after this. Christians flee Jerusalem, but they flee in all directions. And the, the ripples from the stone dropped in the mill pond on the day of Pentecost, they flow out across the world eventually. The spread of Christianity begins by the end of the book of Acts. Paul is in Rome. And he's covered so much ground. And so many other people have taken the, the Christian message off elsewhere. And now today, now today, all the known world has heard the Christian message. Some have rejected. But it's been spread. That call to go and make disciples of all nations is being fulfilled. And we know that one day Jesus will come back. We know that's going to happen because he promised it. And as Trevor said earlier, God does not break his promises. But until that happens, until that happens, when we gather together 
We might not experience the the violent winds coming amongst us. We might not have flames of fire upon our heads. But I'll tell you what, we do receive the Holy Spirit. We do sit here now, surrounded, consumed, filled with the Holy Spirit. God is with us because he promises that he is. Through the receipt of the Holy Spirit, there was the practical element of communication. There was the the spiritual confidence to be able to share it with others. There was also the challenge to be able to articulate our faith. What does this mean? What does this mean? We might not all be orators like Peter, able to stand up and to preach. But I'll tell you what, have an answer ready for that question. Maybe this afternoon or this week, just reread that passage. And if someone says, what's your belief? And you say, I'm a Christian. And they say, what does that mean? Just consider how you'd respond. What would you say in a, in a, a two-minute nutshell? What would you say to convince them that that is a conversation worth continuing? Because at some point in life, we do get asked these questions. And no matter what age we are, no matter where we are in our lives, having an answer ready is vital. Being able to respond confidently, with pride, with a smile, hopefully, not looking fearful and doubtful, but having confidence, being bold in our faith. The Holy Spirit is with us, so we have nothing to fear. So next year, Donald Trump will go and visit other places. Eventually, he'll come back to the UK at some point, probably, and there'll be more protests and people will look back to this week and remember what happened. Next year will be the 76th anniversary of D-Day. There'll be more parades and more, well, fewer veterans, sadly. But people will still remember and the stories will be passed on from generation to generation. Next year there'll be one family that gather together around a grave and grieve the loss of a father and a husband because the rest of the world would have forgotten these things. But we don't have to wait until next year to celebrate Pentecost. Every single day of life is a celebration of Pentecost. Every single day of the Christian life is an acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit in us and around us. And every conversation we have, every act that we carry out, everything we do in life should reflect the fact that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit knows no bounds. And when we act in the power of the Spirit, there is no bounds to what we can achieve as a body of his people. Let's pray.